Greetings, everybody. It is the first episode in 2024 of the Wind Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Mike of MTGA Wines, and we are getting into, I guess, what is our 2024 prospectus. Here is what we're looking at for the new year, kind of the theme that we're running with, and all the things that I think I try and process as we get into a new year of a growing season, leading into a harvest, leading into winemaking, but also all the business side of it, all the creative side of it, the artistic side of winemaking. And there's a lot, and I mean a lot, that goes into getting ready for a new year like this. It's not as simple as, hey, we're just going to dive right in and keep doing what we're doing. Uh, there is a lot more thought and purpose and energy that goes into trying to define where we want a new year to go. And I found a couple really, really great examples and kind of really did a much better job of framing it uh, than probably than what I've ever done uh, that I want to share with you. We're going to talk about them a little bit. We're going to dive into how that applies to the wine industry and kind of where this all comes from. You know, this being the first podcast of a, a new year for me, the first time I've kind of kicked off a year with a show I really wanted to dive into kind of the thought process of, you know, how we get into a new year in the wine business. It's easy to, you know, kind of stick to the normal rigamen role and say, all right, well, we got to prepare for this bottling run and we got a club run coming up. We got these new wines that we're going to be talking about. You know, here are the tasting notes. Here's our, you know, business plan for the year and our budget. Like it's easy to get caught into just the day to day, nine to five kind of operations. Right. And it was something that, frankly, with the couple of more corporate jobs that I've had, I despised. It was everything was just so there was nothing really relatable. You were just kind of you felt like a cog in that wheel or that mechanism. And there's maybe some theme or some catchphrase that you're like, all right, this is the year of X, Y, Z. And now people are using that turn of phrase around the office more often than they ever would have because that's the theme for the year and it's fun and it's kitschy and it's interesting. Uh, it's not. It's cheesy as shit and you can do better. And we're going to get into how exactly we do that and how that applies to everything that's going to follow from this year and even carry over into 2025, 2026 and beyond. So uh, before we get too far into it, I do, as always, want to thank everybody for listening, for sharing, for liking the podcast. Please continue uh, for any of your wine, hospitality, business-oriented friends who may find this interesting. Uh, please continue to share it. Uh, you can, of course, find this wherever podcasts are found, uh, specifically Apple Podcasts and Spotify seem to be the most popular spots, uh, but also on YouTube. We do a recording of this that you can find on YouTube on the MTGA Wines uh, YouTube channel. Uh, you can also check out shorter clips on the Instagram, Book of Face, and the network formerly known as Twitter, all at MTGA Wines. Please drop us a follow, a like, subscribe, all the things to stay up to date with everything that we have going on. All right, let's dive into it, shall we? So when the year is wrapping up, uh, Brittany and I, we typically sit down for like a business meeting and like planning session for the new year in early December. You know, we finally have some time to ourselves. We can rest up and relax after the madness that is our busiest time of year. And we start reflecting on the things that 
really made the prior year go round and where we think there are opportunities, where we think there have been challenges and what can we do better moving into the new year. And very typically there is some sort of theme that carries over and it happens kind of at random. It's not like that corporate messaging that I was talking about, you know, at the beginning where it's like, hey, here's our XYZ catchphrase for this year. Let's go get them team. It's not that. It's something that I, I try to try to make sure that's a little bit more impactful. And it, maybe it's not it's not like we post it all over the office here. It's not like it's on the like you know screensaver or lock screen on my phone. Um, it's not, nothing like that. One of these one of these examples I did post to our uh, Instagram and I believe our Twitter uh, as well. Uh, but they're amazing examples of kind of I guess the vibe going into 2024 and where our head is at. Now I think this is something that all businesses should do in some way, shape, or form, and just don't be cheesy about it. Make something honest, something relatable, and something interesting. And there'll be links to these in the description. So if you want to check out some of these, uh, the couple of clips that I'm referencing and one of the podcasts, uh, other podcasts that I'm referencing, those links will be in the description. So you can check them out at your leisure as well. Definitely both are worth a listen. Uh, one is a very short clip. We'll talk about that one first. Uh, just a few minutes uh, to check out. Uh, the other one is actually a longer form podcast, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second as well. The first clip that I came across, and this was some, this was at random, and this is from something that I think was like a couple of years ago. It's not necessarily something that happened recently, uh, but just happened to come across my feed. And it was an interaction between, I believe, a New York uh, college student who was in, you know, in a music program of some sort uh, by the name of Maggie Rogers and her interaction with Pharrell, who if you don't know who Pharrell is, look him up. He's one of the most famous producers ever. Um, oddly enough, both of these examples have something to do with music. Uh, but it, it's just a beautiful moment where she is in essence listening with him to something that she's producing, a song that she's working on. And it's you have to watch him kind of his reactions to it because it's really, really interesting as he kind of absorbs, you know, he's worked with so many amazing artists. He's got so, so many awards and other things that he's done in his crazy career that, you know, to see his real kind of genuine reactions to her and what she's working on is just outstanding. Um, so that's the first clip. And spoiler alert. So if you want to go and watch it, now's the time. Uh, but. The spoiler is, is that they get through listening to her music clip. You know, she get you know, she is, gets some applause from the room as well as from him. She or he looks at her and goes, I have no notes for that, which if you don't know what that means, it's basically I have no critique. I have no comments. That was, in essence, perfect, which, you know, I, I don't really believe in perfection. So it's as close to perfect as it possibly can be like needs work. But the reason he believed that was because she was just doing her. This is her style. This is herself creating this music. It wasn't trying to emulate someone, not trying to be like the next this, that, or other thing, just unabashedly doing what she wants to be doing in the industry. So just taking something amazing and trying to run with it as best as she can and do the best she can with whatever it is she's working on. Uh, just an amazing interaction between the two of them. And it's it's a, it's a just a very cool clip. It's all of about five minutes or so in length. 
Um, you can even fast forward through the song if you want to, if you don't want to necessarily like, see his immediate reactions, but just listen to his comments. Um, there, It's really, really impactful and just cool to see, just the authenticity that she kind of exudes and him picking up on that. The second clip is a longer form podcast, but there's one section of it in particular that I'll kind of paraphrase. Uh, it is actually another music producer by the name of Rick Rubin, who has also worked with just an, a plethora, nay, a cornucopia of different artists. Again, if you don't know who he is, you've listened to music he's helped produce, guarantee it. Uh, and he is talking with a gentleman by the name of Andrew Huberman, uh, who has his own podcast. Uh, he is actually, I'm probably going to mess this up, but a Stanford professor, PhD, amazing like scientist, like super really smart guy. Uh, very interesting to listen to just his perspectives on just anything. And this conversation with Rick Rubin was just fantastic. Um, that link is down in our description as well. It is certainly a longer form podcast. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing for you. There was really kind of one brief moment that I really wanted to key in on, but the whole thing is worth a listen. So the next time you got a commute going, uh, the next time you just got some time to kill, you're doing some work around the house, whatever, definitely worth checking out because it is about two hours two and a half hours long all said and done so it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch but it's really really worthwhile the moment in that podcast that i really tuned into was the conversation between huberman and, and Ruben really tried to start to define what makes something worth it and it was you know if you're if you're making wine if you're creating music if you are selling something, if you're doing something, if you're creating something, if there's some sort of creative process involved, what makes that endeavor worth it? And I think kind of it, it kind of showed Huberman's, you know, I think scientific background where he's like, let's try and define what what is worth it. How do we define that? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this quite a bit in terms of uh, Ruben's response, but it was basically that within the creative process of art, the most important thing you can do is almost ignore whether or not it's worth it. It's irrelevant because it's something you cannot control, which I agree with wholeheartedly. If you are, let's say, a winemaker, and you are concerned with whether or not people like your wine, it's really not up to you. They're going to try it. They're going to decide whether or not they like it and whether or not they buy it. It, it, you have no say. You might be able to give them some fun anecdotes, help them connect to that product a little bit more and potentially rationalize a purchase a little bit easier. But whether or not they like it, it's not up to you. And if you're worried about that as a part of your creative process, that is going to impede the creation of that product because now you're trying to live up to something that you just can't control. At least that's how I took it. It was just it's it was a beautiful moment in that podcast of kind of understanding kind of the spark of creativity and what it means to just run with something and do what you do best. And if other people jump on board because they love it, it's a bonus. And I got to like that's something I identify with. It's how I operate when it comes to winemaking outside of a few exceptions. Because that's just the way art works. You know, someone who is an artist at heart is just going to do what they want to do. And hopefully other people like it. And if they don't, maybe it just stays a side hustle and it's for fun and it's more of a hobby. Or if it catches on and people really enjoy it, 
Now you have the opportunity to be that entrepreneurial type and kind of run with it and see where it takes you. Um, it just opens doors and you can decide whether or not to walk through them. So between these two examples, it's a little bit of a deep conversation to kind of get things started here. But the reason I wanted to kind of start this year in this way is because that's exactly kind of the theme that we've worked with over the years, but something that's even more important now than ever when it comes to the wine industry. More and more, it's easier to find great wines from any number of producers. How are you going to cut yourself from the herd? How are you going to be different? Where are you going to find inspiration? And how are you going to work within the confines of your business, where you're getting fruit from, your financial situation, your production situation, all of these things? And how are you going to continue to be creative and move that needle forward versus regress? And I think it's an amazing question because there are so many folks that I know who are in the wine industry because they love it. They love the creativity of it. It's, it's a love of the game industry. Believe me, if, if any one of us in this industry really wanted to make money at what we do, we wouldn't be in the wine industry. You know, outside of guys named Finney and Wagner or, you know, maybe what Josh Phelps is doing with Grounded Wine Company and uh, Space Age Rosé these days. I mean, there's a chosen few people that become kind of these big stars within the industry, even on the consulting winemaking side of things. You know, you talk about your Fleet Melkas and Heidi Barrett's and so on that, you know, there's only a handful of these people that really are kind of like the pop stars, basically, right? to continue down this kind of we're going to use a lot of music analogies today if you couldn't figure that out you know since we're citing a couple of the best music producer producers in history right so there are a few people that become the pop stars they're doing what everyone else you know wants to be doing you know folks see it and they want to be them live like them it's the lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of mentality right and there's something to that but for the vast majority of people whether it's in music or in wine they're probably not going to get there. That's just the cold, stark reality of it. And to go back to that idea is like, it does that make what we do worth it? My answer is, yeah, of course it does, because I'm not worried about that. That doesn't matter to me. Would it be nice? Yeah, sure. But we're very lucky at where we are with MTGA and what Blair Payton does with our own wine businesses that they allow us to live where we live. They put food on the table and they pay our bills. They keep the lights on. We're able to continue doing what we do because enough people have decided that our wines are enjoyable and they're purchasing them. Some of you who are listening to this have been amazing supporters of ours for months or years, even a decade or more. And that's something that we're just, it's not that we didn't worry about it because we we're throwing a lot of money into these things and trying to make them happen. But at the same time, whether or not these were successful businesses didn't define whether or not our wine production was worth it. Because our goal, starting from day one, was simply just make the best wines that we can. Very clean and simple. And it, it, whether it was the Merlot I started with or Brittany with her Grenache, it was these are just, this is what we want to do. And if other people want to jump on board, awesome. They are welcome to jump on this train and ride it along with us. And we would love nothing more than that. We really would. But at a certain point, that wasn't the goal. It was just, let's just make great wine. Full stop. That's it. That's all that we were worried about. And within a changing landscape, 
of the wine industry. So much has changed in the last 15 years since we started making wine, since I moved back to Napa and started getting back into the wine industry. Even more so in the last 20, even more so in the last 30. The wine business has changed immensely. And we, like many people, have had to change and adapt with it, right? But none of those things tied back, again, to whether or not something was worth it. We always wanted to put the creative process first and run with that. And that's really something that now that we're getting into our fifth, this, this next year, 2024, is going to be our 15th harvest. We will have been making wine for a decade and a half. And over the last couple of years, you know, personally, as it applies to kind of our business, I feel like I have made some sacrifices and done some things in terms of what wines we produce and how we produce them that I wouldn't normally. And the reason for that was because I started kind of chasing the dragon a little bit. I got away from my creative process to a certain extent, and I needed to find a way to get back to it, which is why these two clips and are so important to this new year and kind of where we're going into this, you know, next season. Because when I started making Cabernet in 2015, it literally fell into my lap. It was actually a fairly drama-filled situation. Another story for another time. In 2017, I, I continued making Cabernet with the St. Vitor Cabernet, which some of you might be familiar with. Um, if not, it was really kind of my first you know, having total control of my own Cabernet program. But even then, it was not what I wanted it to be. I felt like I was forcing this square peg into the round hole of what our wine program had been historically. And it took me a few years to get away from that. And come 2020, 2020, it was like, okay, let's hit the reset button a little bit and get back to what we started with. Let's go back to our roots and do what we're doing. And now we are seeing the fruits of that labor where we did just that. We said, hey, we don't want to make Cabernet like everybody else. We just don't. So for 2020 and 2021, and those vintages have since been released and are now making their way out into the world, we've been able to find kind of our niche within the Cabernet world, even though we're known for Merlot, of all things. Of course, Merlot is our flagship. It's our bread and butter. It's what we are most known for. So... With that, it was like, okay, if we're going to continue to be known for this, we don't want the cat. I don't, I still to this day do not want the Cabernet to overtake it. I want Merlot to be our bread and butter. That needs to be what we are known for, right? But, you know, we're going to have Cabernet in the lineup. So we need to adapt our thinking around what Napa and kind of the region around us is doing and say, okay, where are the voids in this? Because there's a lot of great Cabernet in Napa how the hell are we going to make it stand out of this crowd? You know, there's got to be some way, shape, or form. And that's where our creative process starts to take over and kind of that artistic license starts to take over, take over, where we stopped being worried about is making this Cabernet worth it and let's make the best damn Cabernet that we can based on our style and what we want the flavors and characteristics of it to be. And again, if people jump on board because they love it, great. That's it. That's, in essence, our creative process. Very clean, very simple. Let's do the best we can with what we're working on and go from there. And I think this 
kind of create a process, you know, if it's a, more of an artistic industry works, you know, it might be a little less, you know, less so for some of the lawyers or accountants or whatever else out there. Although I suppose you have to be creative in a lot of those, you know, realms as well, depending on, you know, certain uh, rules and implications and uh, precedent and things of that nature. Like you can still be creative, right? Although it's probably a little bit more finite as to whether or not it's worth it because you do have a specific end goal in mind in terms of accounting, like saving money, you know, keeping your books tight. And as a lawyer, you know, winning the case or the battle you're against, there is a, hey, that was worth it. <laughs> probably attached to those. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe some of you can fill me in on that and tell me I'm wrong. But that seems a little, it's a little different than, you know, the artistic aspect of, say, the wine industry. But a creative process, regardless of where you're at in the world and what you do for a living, doesn't need to be complicated. And I think going back to these two clips, they both really extol the virtue of people just being themselves. That it's important to put your own touch on things and do you. Be unabashedly yourself. You do not have to fit into some mold, right? You know, I have a few friends and colleagues that as, as they've gotten into the wine industry, they've kind of gone our route. They've tried to be very creative, do things that are very different. You know, many of us have struggled quite a bit with that because it's hard to not be known for Cabernet in Napa. Um, realistically, if you don't have Cabernet in your lineup, it's really hard to be taken seriously. People don't really give you the street cred if you're not doing it, uh, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's a bummer. You know, people kind of respect what you're doing, but you don't necessarily see that turn into, you know, dollars or revenue or visitors to the winery necessarily. You, you almost have to have Cabernet out here, which sucks, but it's the way it is. Uh, there are a handful of exceptions, of course, but, you know. On the other side, you have folks that have decided, hey, Napa's known for Cabernet Chardonnay. We're making Cabernet and Chardonnay because we know they sell. You know, the hell with a, we'll have, you know, some creative license, but we need to make Cab and Chard in this style because that's what sells. And if we're going to do this, this is what we need to be doing. It's a little bit more of that, like, hey, if we can just sell these wines, that's what makes this worth it, you know? And I don't think it's, it's not that I think there's always a gray area in between those two kind of mentalities, right? I don't think there's necessary. I think there are certain people that are like, hey, if I'm not making a boatload of money, then I'm not interested in doing this business, which I'm like, why are you in the wine industry? Because this is the worst place to try and make a buck. <laughs> but people try, people try. And it just, it kind of, it boggles my mind a little bit. And I'm trying to remember what episode I talked about this, but there's a, a really good friend of mine who works for um, a, a very wealthy individual. Um, I've used this example a couple of times, but I'm going to repeat it just in case you haven't heard it before. Is this individual, his his benchmark for wine is Colgan. Colgan is his, if you don't know who Colgan is, they're one of the cult wines, kind of these very high-end, very expensive, very good. I mean, they're very well-made wines. And it's his favorite, I think, Napa or Sonoma wine. Uh huge fan of what they do. And his goal 
was to, in essence, be the next Colgan. He's like, if we're going to get into the wine industry, here's who I want to be playing with. This is not just our competitive set of people we want to be with. Like, it's this winery specifically. We want to be the next Colgan. Which, respect. I mean, shit, that's a, that's a hell of a goal. They've been doing it and doing it well for a long-ass time. You know, you're not going to find many that you'd even say would be considered better, right? Like, that, they're just at the top of the game. They have been for a long time. And my only question to this friend of mine, he's one of my best friends, so I, I know I can talk shit about him a little bit. This wasn't even talking shit, but I know I can like, you know, rib him a little bit and be like, hey, like, what's the deal? My response was, okay, that's cool. Does he want to be the next Colgan or the first him? Because you're not going to be the next Colgan if you don't have access to that winemaker, that vineyard, that property, those production methods, everything. Like, you're, it's impossible. You cannot do it. You're not going to be able, you might be able to emulate it to a certain point, but you're not going to be able to be exactly the same. It's impossible. You know, you, you can't. There's no way you can do that. So at a certain point, you better be known for being you because if everyone just knows you as the knockoff of that, I mean, is that really where you want to be? And it's, it's, it's an interesting thought, right? I mean... Who knows, you know, knockoff brands tend to do pretty well for themselves. I mean, just go down to Canal Street, I suppose, in New York. You'll figure it out, right? The missus, she loves her a good deal. If it looks like a Louis, it might not smell like a Louis. But hey, that LVMH stuff looks pretty nice, though, even if it's uh, phony, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting mindset. And I think in this day and age, it's it's harder than ever because of just the expense, especially in Napa, just the expense of getting into the wine industry here. It's tough. It's tough to be a part of this industry and make it happen, you know. But if you're going to make it happen, you better be known for something. And if you're just known as trying to be the next X, Y, Z, I don't know if that's enough. You need to have some sort of story. You need to have some sort of connection to people. That's how art works. If you're going to be in a creative industry, an artistic industry, you better be able to connect with whomever you're trying to do business with, sell to, whatever the case may be. Because if you can't do that, they might as well go buy their wine or art from anybody else, right? Because it doesn't make any difference. There's too and especially in this day and age, there's too much good wine out there. Not that that's a bad thing. Huge fan of there being so much good wine out there. But why should they buy from you and not somebody else if you don't have some sort of creative outlook or something different that separates you and cuts you from the herd you know that's immensely important you know just making cabernet for the sake of making cabernet anybody can fucking do that right like if you're gonna do it put your own mark on it in some way shape or form and go for it that was really how i got started with Merlot. It fell into my lap, quite literally. There's a video on our YouTube channel where I talk about it. Feel free to go check it out. You know, but as I started making wine, as I started getting into this business and really trying to figure out where I wanted to be within it, it was like, you know what? This Merlot thing is kind of cool. Let's try and make the best possible Merlot we can. You know, have our benchmarks that we kind of see as the elephants in the room who kind of control that segment of the wine industry out here figure out what they're doing and then put our own creative twist on it so that we are creating something truly unique and different that stands out with a great story, 
great background, and something that people can connect to. That was our creative process in the early days. And this will be actually the probably the this will definitely be the first time that I've talked about this, um, which it's it's an interesting time for us because our Merlot program is changing for the first time in what will be 14 years. We are having to change, you know, who we're getting our Merlot from. And, you know, as a creative business, you're known for a certain type of art. Like, hey, people love this this wine. It's our it's our top seller. It's what people ask for more than anything. It is the most important wine in our lineup by far. And we're having to, you know, and historically to give you all, I guess, a little bit of background, is we've been purchasing Merlot from the same grower just outside of St. Helena, downtown St. Helena, for 14 years. All the way through uh, 2022, actually, so 13 years. And we got word from them, this would have been in 2021 or maybe early 2022, uh, that, you know, come 2023, you know, this last year, they were not going to sell us Merlot anymore. They said, hey, you know, we're calling the, you know, evergreen clause in this, you know, we're not going to, we'll give you an extra year to help sort it out. But we're going to be selling all these grapes to somebody else moving forward. So you're going to have to see your way out the door. So for the better part of 18 months, two years, you know, our creative process has kind of gone into overdrive of basically like, what the fuck do we do with this? This is, this is a vineyard. This is a grower that we have relied on for nearly a decade and a half. And it, it was, it was all amicable. It's not like it was, it was, you know, feisty at all. Luckily enough, it was a very amicable split. Realistically, I can't argue with their decision because it was a great business decision for what they were looking for. It was a very honest upfront conversation. So I don't want anyone to think that there's any animosity there. It just, it's just business, right? Nothing personal. It's just business as the great David Sampson would say. And another podcast, actually, if you're into sports ball, that's a great podcast that you should look up. Uh, nothing personal with David Sampson. Really good show. Really good show. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you've been known for something for so long, I mean, how do you take that creative process that you're known for and adapt it to something new? Imagine your favorite band, right? And how often does this happen? Since we're using music as, as a great reference point for this show, you know, your favorite band puts out an album that's just completely different than their work that they've done previously, right? They've evolved in some way, shape, or form. It's a different sound. The lyrics have gone one way or the other, and it's just different. It's not what you, you know, necessarily wanted from that band because you're used to a certain style of music and what you want from them. So I, I always use, you know, like a like Blink-182 as an example because, number one, they're one of my favorite bands of all time, or even a Newfound Glory. another one. We'll use two examples. I don't expect a lot of you to know Newfound Glory. Some of you will. Blink-182 is a little bit easier to recognize. But you take, you know... Tom DeLong leaving that band, getting replaced by Matt Skiba, another guitarist and, and great frontman for Alkaline Trio, another one of my favorite bands. And the music is just different. You know, it's the, the albums seem to do really well for themselves, but it's just, hey, it's not this trio that all of us have come to know and love as fans of Blink-182. In the New Fan Glory example, you had a couple of really great albums and then you had um, Coming Home after Sticks and Stones and Catalyst. And you're like, oh, this is just very different. And it just didn't really hit the way those other two albums had. And fans were kind of like, what is this? You know, 
Um, they say I've been to enough of their shows where they say as much. They're like, it was so weird because no one seemed to like this album. But now all you want to do is hear the songs live. So I guess here we go. Let's play them live. Um, it was really funny hearing that because they're like, we kind of changed and did something a little bit different and got out of this and kind of just ran with our creative process and did the best we could. And it just fell a little flat. But for some reason, it still kind of hung tight, you know? I think, you know, the, the similarities between, you know, those situations between those two bands are, you know, very parallel. And I think that's something that we're going to have to work through with this Merlot thing. You know, in changing our source for Merlot, it's, it's an even, uh, it's, it's such a tough thing to talk about. Because, number one, it's not coming from Napa anymore. The availability of Merlot in Napa is pretty sparse. The quality of that Merlot, in my opinion, does not dictate the price that people are charging for it. I think it's overpriced, like a lot of vineyards in Napa. Just my own two cents. I know it's expensive to farm here. I know it's expensive to do business here, which I think that there are other issues at play that we need to work on to deal with some of those things. But the price doesn't match up with the quality. So I'm like, well, crap, if I can't get the Napa Merlot at, for the price I need, at, you know, for the quality that I need, what the hell am I going to do? I can't not make Merlot. It's what we're known for. So we ended up finding a, another vineyard um, out in Clarksburg, closer to Sacramento, tasted the wines before we decided to buy the fruit and they tasted great. So I was like, well, I mean, this is great quality at a much better price. Can we run with our creative process and take this and turn it into something amazing that people will still appreciate? And I caught myself and I caught myself worrying about, is it worth it to make this adjustment? Is it worth it? Are people going to get it? And after seeing these two clips and listening to the, to the podcasts, I was like, I love you all so much. Your support means the world to me. But I got to do what I got to do. And I'm going to make the best damn wine that I can. I'm going to worry about me and what I control and what I can control. And from there, I hope that translates to the wine that I'm going to make from this new vineyard. It's been a very tough few months rationalizing that and figuring out where I was going to go personally with it. Which is why I really wanted to focus on this topic to kick off this year. Because I was in the weeds, no doubt about it. I was in the weeds, worried about how am I going to make this transition? Then I saw this clip with Maggie Rogers. I was like, man, that's so cool that she's just doing her and that this iconic producer is like, you are just doing you and that's what matters. And then to see this Rick Rubin clip with Andrew Huberman, it was like, just, you know, sometimes you just every once in a while, I'm not religious, I'm not spiritual, but every once in a while something happens and you're like, all right, this is just, it can't be a coincidence, right? Like it, there's seeing these two clips in relatively, you know, in a relatively tight time frame while I'm struggling with this, you know, creative process, it just, hey, they clicked. So as we get into 2024 and we're looking forward, you know, as an industry, you know, whether it's, you know, what I do in wine, whether it's what you do for a living, what any of us do for a hobby, you know, it's at a certain point, you got to be good at what you do. Otherwise, you're probably not going to get paid for it. If that's your day job, right? You better be pretty good at what you do. 
But if there is something creative, some sort of art form that you're into, sometimes you have to let go whether or not it's worth it and you just have to do. It's Master Yoda, man. Do or do not. There is no try. It's that simple. Don't worry about whether or not it's worth it. Just do the best you can with the hand you've been dealt and keep your head in the game. That's it. It's, I think that's it. It boils down to that. And as I look forward to this new year and the challenges that are ahead of us, you know, whether Mother Nature is a pill and we have to deal with a crazy growing season and harvest as a result, you know, whether or not these new vineyard sites and barrel programs and everything that we're adjusting as a part of our creative process, you know, whether we hit snags or not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I'm a little worried about it. I'm a little worried about it. But at the same time, I'm not stressed about it. And I think there's a big distinction to be had there. Because if you're trying to figure out whether or not something's worth it, that's when that stress kicks in. And you're just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can, you know, the the self-doubt starts coming very, very quickly. Where if you let that go, and you can be worried about something and not be stressed, I think. Because if you're not worried about it, then... I mean, it's probably not going to turn out the way you want because you're not taking it seriously enough. You need to worry a little bit. A little bit of worry is good. A little bit of stress is probably good, but not a lot. You don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, right? So when in doubt, be authentic. Just be yourself and you do you. And the rest should pretty much fall into place as long as you're giving it your best go, plain and simple. Man, I am beyond excited for this kind of theme that we've identified, kind of the mindset that we've set for this new year and everything that's going to come down the pipeline. I can't tell you how excited I am for what we have in barrel, uh, what we're going to be bottling up in March and later this year, the wines we're going to be releasing. There's so much great stuff. Uh, So many amazing things are going to come here on the show. Uh, We're going to start, as I've been teasing, we're going to start having some guests. We actually have another show that we're going to be launching with a group of friends of ours. We've been talking about it for about a year and a half. So I'm just going to say it and get it out there because we're going to do it. We have to do it now. I've already said it. There's a new show coming. I got to, you know, we already teased it. Got to do it now. There's so many cool things that are on the horizon. And I know that, shoot, man, it's hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes. It's hard to keep that creative process in line and not be able to see the forest through the trees sometimes. And at a certain point, I don't know, it's, damn it, it's easier said than done, but you can't let the bastards get you down. You just got to keep moving forward and doing what you do best. So I hope that that is a little bit of inspiration and um, excitement or something that you can, I hope you can pull a little something from that. And whether it's from either of these, you know, clips or, or the podcast, that the links again are down in the description. I highly suggest you go and check them out. Um, hopefully there's a little something in there for everybody, no matter what you're doing. Because I think it's uh, it can be tough to get your head out of the weeds at times and, and figure out where you're actually moving. And it's easy to lose sight of that creative process and not stick to your guns because of out whatever outside influence or force kind of exerting its will on you. Um, but it's important that I think we all as people, you know, try our best to keep moving forward in the direction we're moving as best as we possibly can, just do the best we possibly can. So I hope that you all had just an outstanding finish to 2023, that this new year treats you amazingly well. I'm so excited for 
the show and everything that we're going to be doing this year. Again, thank you so much for the likes, for the subscribes. Uh, Please continue sharing the podcast with friends, with family who are into this kind of thing. Uh, Please be sure if there are any particular topics or questions that you want answered, uh, please leave them in our comments section, whether that's on any of our social networks, that's at MTGA Wines, on YouTube, Instagram, the Book of Face, social network formerly known as Twitter, any one of those. Uh, you can send us notes and we will address them as best as possible. We've gotten a lot of inspiration over the last year from from you guys submitting ideas and thoughts and asking questions. So please continue doing that. Um, I do love the fact that there is this nice give and take uh, between both myself and and our listeners because it's, you know, it's the stuff that I know that you all want to be hearing about. And I want to try and cover all those topics as best as possible. And there's something we haven't covered. Let us know. We'll get into it and see where we go from there. So. Have an amazing rest of the week. Love you guys. We'll see you next time.